Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Well, Lord, we thank you once again for tonight and just the beautiful worship. Thank you for the ministry of David and Leah Souter. Again, I pray for your healing power to touch Leah. Uh, Lord, we also uh, lift up the Catherine Crick meeting across the river. Uh, Many people are there in person and many others are watching live. And we just pray for a release of faith of revival, of signs, wonders, and miracles, that you would touch people and release your power tonight. Lord, thank you for the gospel going forth on the riverfront, Lord. Let let the, uh, the reverberation of that be felt all weekend and even into this coming week, Lord. And Holy Spirit, as we look to your word, I ask that you would be our teacher. Uh, Spirit of truth, lead us and guide us into truth. Open our ears and tenderize our hearts and teach us how to respond to Jesus as we look in this passage, just as this woman did. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to do a quick recap of uh, last week's message, because I think we had different folks for last week. Eric, I think you were here. Um, But last week, we looked at the woman who anointed Jesus with the alabaster jar. If you remember the story, she kind of went, snuck into a meeting, sort of. It was at Simon the leper's house. And there's Jesus talking and ministering. They're having a banquet. And then she just breaks this spikenard jar. And it's just an incredible amount of perfume. It's just... You know, so aromatic. It's and everybody that's there is like unbelievable. What a what a waste of so much perfume. It was so expensive. We could have sold that. And Jesus goes, "That's how you see it, but how I see it." Jesus uses the words, "A beautiful thing was done to me." So man goes, "What a waste." God goes, that was beautiful. I will remember that forever. That will be in your history forever, for all eternity. A trillion years from now, you and I will talk about when you did that. And so uh, Jesus used a, a woman who had no ministry position, didn't own a business, had no stature in society, used this woman as a teachable lesson to all of the apostles and everyone present. And Jesus said only of one individual in the Bible, Jesus said of one person, this story will be told in your honor. And so we have the story in the Bible. Jesus says, I want to make sure this gets in the book. Now what's interesting, this story is in all four Gospels, but in the Luke in the Luke version, it's 
it's pretty evident that it's a different woman does a similar thing. And so Matthew, Mark, and John record Mary of Bethany breaking the flask. But in Luke, another woman evidently, because the details are so different. I mean, there's, there's little differences of details in the Matthew, Mark, and John. But Luke, it's clear it's a different story. It's a different woman, a different place, different figures. And this woman is referred to as the sinful woman. She also has an extravagant response to the Lord. So my, my thinking on this is when Mary of Bethany broke her spikenard jar, and it was you know this incredible scene, word gets out, and people, you know, folk are folk. So stories start circulating, and people go, Jesus really likes it when we break spikenard at the feet of Jesus, so do that. You know, that's what people, they, we got to replicate. If, if God moved in one place, we got to keep doing it, right? And so human nature kicks in. So many people probably do this, um, and, and, you know, f who knows for what reasons, but I think it was likely genuine. But this is just another instance of this happening in, uh, in, the, in the Luke narrative. Before we get there to that passage, let me just share kind of a little parable just to orient our thinking. This is kind of a, a modern version of a parable that, you know, that I'm about to read here. But just imagine... Some complete stranger comes up to you and says, hey, you know, I just felt like I should give you $1,000 uh, to pay down some credit card debt or something like that. You know, if someone were to do that to you, you might be like, oh, wow, incredible. Thank you. Yeah, I, I owe a few thousand. So, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll pay that down. If someone were to do that for, for you or for me, We'd be a fan instantly. We'd be like, wow, okay, cool, man. But if some complete stranger came up to you and said, hey, I want to pay off your entire mortgage. Whoa. We're talking about a whole nother league. We wouldn't just be like, cool. That would be life-changing. We would be more than a fan. We would probably follow them. We would probably sing their praises all of our life. You know, we would have a different response. You know, the little debt that I could pay down with a thousand dollars, that's one thing. But if someone was like, hey, I'm gonna pay down a lifelong debt essentially, a 30, 50 year, you know, kind of debt, we would go, Oh my gosh. We would tell our kids about it. We'd tell our grandkids about it. It would be a formative event in our life. And that's sort of the the story that Jesus tells in his lingo 2,000 years ago. And, uh, and so that's just sort of the, the modern spin. You know, a little bit of debt being paid down. We're a fan. We, you know, we might click like on that. But, you know, someone that does something extravagant like that, we would be a follower for life. It, it, it would be, you know, something that we would never forget. And so let's go right to the story and let's just go to the actual text here. So this is Luke 7, verse 16. Um, so the other three stories are at Simon the lepers. This is, this is clearly in a different location because it says, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. I just want to say this real quick. I love how Jesus is so not religious. 
He'll go to a Pharisee's house. He knows what they're dealing with, but he, he'll go to anyone's house. He'll go to the sinner, he'll go to the tax collector, the undesirable, the Pharisee. He'll go anywhere because that's what God does. God goes, he'll, he'll meet with anybody, he'll come to anybody's level, he'll rise to the occasion, he'll lower himself, he'll, he, he's God. He, no one, you know, is out, out, of, out of limits for him. And so he goes to this Pharisee's house because he's invited over goes to his house and reclines at a table. And it says, When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. So this is a pretty dramatic scene. Kissed them and poured perfume on them. So, you know, last week I talked about, you know, if this were to happen in church, we'd start having questions like, what is about that? What is going on here? This is pretty extreme. And, it looks, you know, what is happening? Then it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, imagine thinking this, Jesus standing right here or sitting over there. If this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus is going, I know what you're thinking, dude. You're so odd. But anyway, he knows it's about to be a teachable moment, of course. And he, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love the money lender more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You going to go back with Mama? Go back to Mama, okay? Please, thank you. Careful on the careful there. Oh, we got a uh, got a drummer. It's a future drummer. Go with Mama, please. Thank you. And so you know, I've heard people talk on this, you know, they're, they're, if you can't pay it back, it might as well be a trillion dollars. You know, it, whether it's 50 or 500, you know, like kind of the, if you have a debt weighing on you that you know I cannot pay this back the rest of my life, I mean, that's just a massive burden. Um. And so in the story, the moneylender just cancels both debt. But, but one of them, it's, it's one, you know, it's 50. The other one's 10 times that. Jesus is trying to say, who do you think is going to, you know, respond in love at a greater level? And Simon says, well, I think the one with more debt. And Jesus says, yes, you've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, you see this woman, I, I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her own tears 
and wiped them with her hair. You, you didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And I'm going to kind of help frame how to think of that because we, of course, don't earn salvation by being loving. Sometimes we can misread that. But then Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who, who even forgives sins? What? That's the long way of saying, what? Anyway, that's in the DKV. In the DKV, it's just, what? Who can forgive sin? And then Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. An incredible moment. She believed that this man named Jesus was willing to forgive even her. And she knew my sin compared to everybody else in society. I feel like, because I've got this... Um, illicit lifestyle. We're not privy to everything she did wrong, but when the Bible calls you a sinner, it's like, oh, okay. I mean, we're all sinners in one sense, but this woman was probably living an indecent life, and so she probably knew, you know, hey, yeah, I am, you know, not living the best life here. But even she had the faith. I bet this man could forgive me. And the point Jesus is making is. When you connect that your sin is like the mortgage being forgiven or the 500 denarii being forgiven instead of like a little bit of credit card debt being forgiven, when you connect that it's unpayable and it's, it's a vast, lifelong, un, you can't even touch the debt, when you know that that's what Jesus has forgiven, you respond differently. You respond extravagantly. You weep at His feet. There's a tenderness that touches you. You give extravagantly to Him. You break your, your most valuable possessions and you give it to Him because you just love Him. You're not asking questions like, how little can I do how, how can I get my toe in the baby pool? Can I just get my toe wet and be saved? You're not even thinking that anymore because you're so compelled by what he's done for you, you just want to give your all to him. And so we see that in all four Gospels. There's this extravagant response. That, and it was a disruptive response. Notice that in every Gospel... People are agitated. So wasteful. Mary of Bethany broke the flask. And people said, that was wasteful. We could have sold that and gotten money and given it to the poor. And Jesus just flatly says, you're going to always have poor people to take care of, but you won't always have me. I won't always be here in the flesh. You won't always have the Creator God here. And she did this to me. I take it personally. That was beautiful to me. And same with this sinful woman. It was the same spirit of faith that motivated this. And it was, uh, it was a, you know, it was raising all these questions. If this man knew who she was, 
Oh, I can't believe this sinner snuck in here. What is she doing? Making a mess and crying. And, you know, it's people who have this heart of love. It's like wherever they go, Jesus is affirming them, but they're stirring up. Other people are stirred. They're not even trying to stir up the situation, but that's what ends up happening because they simply love Jesus and they respond differently. I want to encourage you to, to, to think of these two things. One is that fundamentally, fundamentally speaking, there was this massive unpayable debt over your life. And if you have given your life to Christ, that debt has been completely removed Jesus took that debt of sin onto himself at the cross. That was why the cross was necessary. It canceled the debt of sin of people who would put their faith in him. And so there's a lot we could say about that. But a, a lot of Christians think of what Jesus took on at the cross as like a thousand bucks. And so they, they never really appreciate what was done. They're just kind of like, that was a technicality. I'm not really sure why the cross had to happen, but I'm thankful. You know, I was a little sinful. I did that one thing when I was eight years old and, you know, then when I was 20. But let me just say this. It wasn't that Jesus just forgave like a thousand sins. It was that he forgave your sin nature. And, and so when you connect to like, it wasn't like Jesus was like, okay, Derek, you had 7,525 sins, but I paid for them. That, that's true. But in, in a more fundamental sense, there was no chance of me ever getting to God. There was, it was, there was no possibility of me stepping into heaven, no matter what. If I lived righteous my whole life, my sin nature would still keep me out. I was born in sin thanks to my great-grandpa Adam who sinned. <laughs> and so it wasn't that just I've sinned ever since I've been young and I lied and I cheated and I stole and you know, misrepresented this and that. It was that no human being apart from Christ can step into God's presence and say, I should be here. Nobody can do that. It's like thinking, I'll just go visit the sun real quick because I have a fire suit on. Nobody can go put on the local fireman suit and just get, just take a jet plane to the sun. I'm good. I've got my fireman suit on. You're going to burn up about a billion miles from it. <laughs> you, know, not even, you can't even get to the sun. You're, you're 100 million miles away from it and it's too hot no matter what you're wearing. And, and we're talking about the creator of the sun. And the Bible says he dwells in unapproachable light. You can't even get into the light, let alone in God's presence. And Jesus says, nobody gets in there. Absolutely nobody can get anywhere near God because of human sin. But I want to tell you something. I've taken care of that. And so when you understand what was taken at the cross was the trillion dollar debt, the, the mortgage that was this lifelong, you would never be able to repay it. That's, again, sort of a trivial analogy. You respond different. Church is different. 
house of prayer is different. Christian community is different. How we give our money, our prayer life, everything's different when we realize, oh my, like, I was not ever going to even be remotely touching the presence of God. I was never going to get into heaven. And so it just changes the conversation. Jesus is trying to help the people in this room understand this woman is connected to a truth. She understands she was forgiven a massive debt. And because she understands that, she responds in love. She loves me more. The implication is, Simon, everybody else, you're thinking, because you're, you struggle with self-righteousness, you're thinking you're not sinful. You're thinking you're not sick. You don't need a doctor. You're thinking, I'm good, and Jesus is going, you'll never love me that much. If you think you need me as like a technicality, or you think you need me just to give a little bit of added blessing to your life, you won't really move into the depths of love. But again, when you realize at the cross, by putting our faith in Christ, He removed the trillion dollar debt. And now you have access to His presence. You are favored by Him. You will be able to step directly into the presence of God for all eternity. That should move us deeply. And it should, it should uh, uh, stir up and awaken this radical response, what I call in the, t the title, it's a beautiful response to Jesus. When we know that He has done things like that for us, we respond with these beautiful choices that He says, oh, that's so meaningful to me. I mentioned this last week. Sorry, i got to get a little water here. It's a little hot in here, Glory. I mentioned last week that uh, Mary was, uh, you know, she was uh, stirring up this, you know, she, she breaks the flask and there's a mess everywhere and there's people rebuking her. Uh, when you, when you f like see Jesus for who he is and what he has done for you, when you can to that a little more you just respond differently and it's different than even the normal community of faith that's around you and you don't do it to like one-up people you do it because that's how precious Jesus is to you and you don't just do it once it becomes like a part of your history like in every season of life you, 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 you look back and you go, oh, yeah, I connected to who he was a little more. And I, and, I, and I said yes at a deeper level. And then, you know, a couple years went by and I just rededicated again. And a few years went by and I just went all in again. And you, you look back because no one does this perfect. But you look back and you're able to see like, wow, Jesus has really reached me. And, and, I, and I can see like, man, he is, there's like 10 or 12 He's really gripped me. And, and you're kind of like, wow, how did that happen? But you, you begin to see like, oh, in every season, every couple years, it's like I understand him a little more and I, and I renounce my sin again and I, and I keep 
going for him again, and he just becomes more beautiful and precious to me. Um, part of the good news of the gospel is that you can't come to the end of Jesus. He's he's you just there's more and more to him, and so the more we stick with him, he just gets better. And so every you know throughout the seasons of life, it's not like you know we're gonna get to be ninety years old, Lord willing, or a hundred, and and we go, yeah, when I was seventy five, I you know Jesus just got. I got to the end of them. So I've just been kind of coasting for 25 years. I mean, we just got that last revelation. And that will never happen in this life, and it won't happen for eternity. A thousand years in, a revelation of His grace is, oh my goodness, your grace. And then a 10 million years in, oh my gosh, your mercy. And then another trillion, and we're just getting started. I want to be like these women in these stories who saw something that the disciples didn't see, that the religious elite didn't see. What what strikes me is that many of these stories, Jesus is going, look at the common person. Who is the town sinner? Who doesn't have a ministry or a business? Who isn't a leader? They're connecting to this. My apostles aren't. The rich aren't. The theologians aren't. The Pharisees and Sadducees in a scene community. None of these people are being talked about. It's the common person. It's the person who just looked at me and goes, Oh, thank you. I get it. I, by faith, I know you've forgiven me. I, get, I just feel like you're different. You're the one, and I'm going to stick with you. And Jesus affirms her in that moment. I just love how Jesus is. Like, he's not a typical pastor or religious leader. I mean, if, I, if someone were to break into house of prayer and throw perfume everywhere and just make a mess, I'd be kind of like, don't do that here. Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven, daughter. Like, he, he doesn't care about the Pharisees' house. You know, people break roofs open, be healed. It's like he's just different. And I just love that about him. He's seeing things through the lens of eternity. And he goes, yeah, your roof's not really that big of a deal. Be healed. Sin's forgiven. Kingdom come. Like he's just on another plane. And yet he's right there in humanity, touching real people, doing things for people that are beyond what are even their immediate needs. Because sometimes people are you know, thinking, here's my need. But Jesus goes far beyond. Let me touch your eternal need. This woman needed to hear, you're forgiven. Sometimes we need to hear that. Like, you're forgiven. Like, that whole past life, you're in Christ now. Like, it's clean. I know we always all feel like a mess. The most spiritual of us, we have days and moments and seasons where we're just like, eh, I'm stuck in this body. And Jesus goes, just keep, keep moving toward me. The things you're doing are beautiful to me. The world doesn't see it. Even the church might not see it. The leadership might not see it. I see it. That act was beautiful to me. That thing that everybody else didn't like, I loved it. And so sometimes we do just have to remind ourselves, Jesus sees things a lot different. And he is uh, speaking differently than a lot of even just the, the lingo that's out there. Excuse me.
I want to respond more and more like this. And I want you to consider, I said this last week, it, it looks different. Not everybody has a spikener jar on their you know, mantle at home and can you know, go visit Jesus at the Pharisee's house and break it and weep on him. You know, obviously, we can't do that now. But what does it look like to respond with extravagant love? What does it look like? How, how do we respond to someone who forgave us of a trillion-dollar mortgage debt called sin or sin nature? What, what does it look like every year of our life? I mean, I don't want to make it like, okay, every day of our life we got to be, you know, unbelievably, you know, I, I, being a wholehearted follower of, of Jesus, it feels very normal. And yet we, we do recommit time and time again in different seasons. What does it look like in this season of your life? What does it look like to make a beautiful response to Jesus right now in your current situation? You know, I, I keep saying last week, but this is sort of part two, so I'm blending. But, you know, for someone... Giving up TV for a month is like radical. That would be the most extreme thing they've ever heard of. For others, it would be a large sum of money they would give to the Lord. For others, it would be forgiving that person they said they'd never forgiven their heart. You know, for others, it may be doing something they never thought they could do, stepping through a fear. You know, but all, but I just want to love you. I want to, I want to step into that next place of, you know, surrender joyful dedication like what does that look like and for for this woman it was i'm gonna break this and i'm gonna wipe his feet with my tearful hair you know that was probably quite a scene and 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 i just believe he has a word for me and he jesus affirmed her you know i i, lo I love about these stories and i'm going to kind of land the plane and bring this to a close here in a minute what i love about jesus he offers no correction. He does not correct Mary of Bethany. He just says, that was beautiful. Everybody's like, what a waste. That was beautiful. No correction. He just affirms her. This story, Mary, is going to be told to the whole world because your response to me is the right response. Your response to the gospel is what I want other people's responses to be. And so I'm going to put that in the Bible and your story is going to be told because your story leads right back to me. And I will tell anybody's story if it leads back to me. Because Jesus has no insecurity. This woman is the exact same. Jesus goes, I'm going to slip her story in there too. Her response, her generous heart was an evidence that she loved Jesus dearly. Again, it, for some people, it may be you give a gift to the Lord via some you know organization or whatever. For others, it's just whatever the Lord speaks to you, but it's extravagant to you. You know, I, I love the economy that Jesus is connected to because he says in the Gospels, that lady who gave two mites, like two little pennies, that was more than the people giving big because that was everything. That was everything she had. She gave 100% and it was... So God goes, that's more than the billion dollar gift because that guy had 100 billion. So it didn't even really touch his heart. Jesus goes, I see when it's 100% versus, you know, one, you know, 
And so I think, you know, we live in this world and we're like, oh my gosh, Jeff Bezos gave a million dollars. Well, that's like 0.001% of his wealth. That's nothing to him. I'd love to be able to give a million dollars. I don't got it. <laughs> but you get like when, when we give of all we have and, and it might be small, Jesus goes, oof, that was big and I'm going to remember that forever. And we're going to talk about that one day. That's on my, you know, that's on my spreadsheet. I will never forget about that. And so, you know, as we connect to what he's done for us, we see how, oh my gosh, you're, you're so incredible toward me. And then we just start thinking in this whole other narrative, how can I respond in love? How can I, it, because a lot of people hear messages about being dedicated or being surrendered or holy or, and, and they're not thinking in terms of like a love narrative. They're not thinking of, oh, you love me so much. I just want to love you back. Like that's, that's, you'll hear the term bridal paradigm. It's like you're, you're just growing in love for him. It's the bride responding to the bridegroom like, oh my gosh, you're the greatest king ever. I love you and I just want to be more committed to you. And, and just the more we discover him, the more we understand him, the more we just want to go all in. And we're not even thinking, of, it's called dedication. We're not even trying to be impressive. We're not trying to you know, do this or that. It's just, I want to give of myself more to you. And... You know, some, I, I pray for a living. I'm not good at it. But some people will look at my life and go, oh my gosh, you're so dedicated. Like you do prayer and this. And, and I go, it really feels minimal. Like I'm doing the minimum. Like I just feel like there's so much more. Because some people literally think my life is like extreme. Because I, you know, I transitioned from the corporate and I did the house of prayer and they, and they, you know, and I just, it has nothing to do with being a leader or having a position or a ministry or anything like that. Like, you just, whatever your job is, whatever God's called you to, you just seek to love him and respond to him. And, uh, but I, I look back and I go, you took a really weird teenager and you've, through the years, 20 or some years, you've like really made me love you like that's incredible i never would have imagined and uh, if he could do it for quirky me he could do it for anybody and so yeah he he did it he paid it all man and so let's bring this to a close here one last thought jesus loved us in such a way jesus just didn't love us in a, in a trivial way he did the most important thing we would ever need. He took our sins. You guys know that I'm preaching to the choir again. You know, love does the most meaningful sacrifice. Jesus could have come to the world and said, hey, everybody, come here. Here's a million dollars. Everybody gets him. He could have multiplied millions of dollars. He could have done, he's God. He couldn't. He could have done way more than loaves and fishes. He could have done anything. He could have multiplied houses. He, I mean, we're talking about God here. And so, but but Jesus could have done that. But he knew what the most pressing need was. He knew that what people needed most was an opportunity to get to God for eternity. People needed an opportunity to get their sins dealt with. 
And only he could have done that. Nobody else could have done that. And so he says, I'll go. I'll do that. I'll, I'll serve humanity in such a way that I'll pay the ultimate price. I'll lay down my life. I'll go to the cross. I'll live a perfect life so that people have a chance to believe in me and, and go to heaven forever, to have sin wiped off their dead. And so that's, Jesus did something that no other human being could do or would do. And he, and when you connect to the, the, the love of that, when you connect to like, uh, you know, he, he did something that was so radical, so sacrificial, so humble, it just makes you want to love him more and respond more in love. Amen. And amen. I'll end right there. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.